Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week, I sit down with Russian opposition leader Ilya Ponomarev. During our conversation, Ilya talks about the rise of Vladimir Putin, the dissenting votes he cast as a member of the State Duma, his banishment from Russia, the recent assassination of anti-Putin activist Boris Nemtsov, and the future of his native country. First of all, thank you so much for taking time and, and coming to the show, and uh, welcome, and uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, I'd love to start just by um, sort of asking you and learning a little bit about your personal biography and your personal background. Um, you could maybe talk about the last 10, 15, 20 years of your life, um, where you were educated, how you actually got into Russian politics, and then we can sort of take it from there. Actually, as we're sitting here in San Francisco, many people say that uh, I am their dream of a U.S. politician. Uh, because I am originally an entrepreneur, I started working as a, a high-tech person, as a programmer when I was 14 and 16. When I was 16, I founded my, my first startup and uh, had two startups, uh, successfully exited them, and uh, then joined a large corporation, which was Schlumberger, which was uh, uh, doing oil field services, and that's mm-hmm. like the largest world oil field services. Uh, uh, company and then joined UCAS where I got acquainted with Mikhail Khodorkovsky, one of uh, famous uh, Russian business people and we made uh, UCAS as the most successful Russian company which sparkled a lot of uh, jealousy and greed uh, among um, uh, some of our people in power and Putin decided to, t- to, to grab the corporation for his cronies and that's how I was pushed into, into politics and so last uh, no, actually, it's already 12 years I'm, I'm in politics. Uh, uh, I originally joined the Communist Party of Russia uh, because I always thought that uh, the leftist ideas are those who are for direct democracy and uh, self-governing of people, and that's what, to my mind, entrepreneurship is. And then we founded a new party, uh, which was called uh, A Just Russia, or Fair Russia can be translated differently, which is Social Democratic Party, the wide coalition of leftists. And on behalf of this party, in 2007, I got elected mm. uh, uh, into parliament, so I already, uh, what, eight years, a uh, member of Russian parliament representing Novosibirsk, which is the capital of Siberia, and also Russian version of Silicon Valley. That's the capital of Russian innovations. Very good. I'd love to learn about sort of the first time that you met Vladimir Putin and, and what your impression of him was at that time. Do you remember the first time you interacted with him, and, and what, what was the, your, your general impression of him? Um, I met him numerous times, but not talked to him mm-hmm. at, at that time. I just was, like, looking at him. First time we talked, uh, it was already when I was an MP, and uh, we were discussing, actually we were discussing the state procurement system, and I was pitching him how we should reform uh, the procurement system, and he surprisingly agreed. Hmm. Uh, and as you understand, that's the source of all corruption uh, in, in the state, you know, through uh, uh, through state procurements, and 
I was pretty happy that within uh, three, four years after that, we actually managed to create a new law, which I co-authored and co-sponsored into the uh, uh, in in the parliament, and that really started some reforms in in the country. But uh, generally, my impression of him was uh, uh, very. Uh, it was very much as I expected, you know. Uh, I expected that it would be a positive impression because that's his profession. He is trained to be liked. Uh, you know, after one, two minutes of talk, you feel like that's your closest relative. You know, that's the guy who understands you completely, mm-hmm. that you want to confess with everything to him. You know, like, that's the guy you love. And uh, if you would not know who he is in fact and you would not know his practice and you would not know you know what what he is up to uh, then you can make very uh, wrong conclusions mm. if you know then and he knows that you know then you can start talking to him properly mm. and before you met him or when you met him initially did you already have that fact in your head that the public presentation that you get from him when you have a conversation is actually different from who he really is and what he probably really wants out of you. Oh, of course. Uh, I originally, when I joined uh, uh, politics, uh, it was al- already uh, uh, in, in the opposition direction because uh, the uh, thing that actually triggered uh, 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 my move from business side into political side uh, was uh, when Putin cracked down on MTV uh, news station, the most uh, uh, professional and the most independent mm-hmm. Russian uh, uh, news outlet. Uh, he squashed them uh, because he wanted uh, his control and they, they didn't allow this control, they didn't allow censorship. Uh, in, 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 in their programs and their shows. So um, uh, that was like the final push. And I, uh, uh, w- my most recent startup at that time, actually, was I was also running uh, a venture fund for uh, Yukos' uh, shareholders, for Khodorkovsky and some of, his, uh, uh, some of his partners. And we were investing in the project which was related to interactive TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, our uh, uh, next round investors were supposed to be a, a group of people coordinated by Ted Turner uh, of CNN. And uh, when he saw what's happening with NCV, and that happened exactly when we were flying from Atlanta uh, to, uh, uh, to Moscow, just signed term sheet with him. And, and then, like, the whole deal collapsed. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I at that time I decided, you know, if politics is messing with your life, you start to mess with politics. What year was that 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 happened? It was 2001. 2001, yeah. And since that time, the, the perception, at least in the U.S., I think, of, of Vladimir Putin between now and then is that it, he may have been somewhat untru- untrustworthy back then, but he's gotten progressively, seemingly more author- authoritarian is that your assessment of him as well? And if so, what exactly has changed in him from your perspective? Um, you know, he was pretty much authoritarian from the day one. Uh, and there was never any illusion that uh, he's like progressive, democratic, open-minded whatsoever. But uh, in his early days, a lot of those who are right now protesting against him, they were saying, okay, so he's like mild version of Pinochet. Uh, he's like uh, 
person who wants to reform the economy and he is doing all the right neoliberal type reforms. Uh, and he exactly he reformed uh, tax code, he reformed labor code, he, he made a lot of other important changes. Uh, but to my mind, all those changes were wrong from, from the day one. Uh, at that time, we didn't need more privatization in our economy. We need uh, to support more entrepreneurs. We need to, to demonopolize the economy. And he, vice versa, he actually encouraged those monopolies to grow. Mm. And he encouraged uh, state to be more active uh, uh, um, uh, player in, in the market. And, uh, yeah, to my mind, he was more capable than, than Yeltsin, and that, that was positive. But with all the negative signs, it was clear uh, that all his charm would vanish pretty soon, and that happened in 2003 when he sent uh, my uh, former boss, Khodorkovsky, to jail. Mm. I, I know you have some family members uh, that have a history of working in politics. Was it ever a goal of yours when you were growing up that you also would get involved in politics, or was it really, as you said, once the, the government was messing with your industry, you felt a responsibility to get involved? You know, I always had a passion for a change, and I always wanted uh, to influence the society. But uh, my parents, they were very much against politics. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was growing as a kid and when I was a young pioneer, I was literally running away from, from home to join, like, young pioneers' ranks and to be active in, in the work of uh, uh, our, our organization because they were saying, like, that's a dirty thing to do and, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go there and, you know, for God's sake, never be a communist. Uh, uh, and I had different uh, opinion on that, but uh, I decided that being an entrepreneur is the right way how I can influence and change the society. And only when... You know, it was repeatedly, uh, my activities were repeatedly uh, influenced by uh, the actions of the state. And uh, I saw how imperfect uh, it was, and especially with this last uh, push with uh, NCV, which disrupted, uh, you know, terrific business uh, uh, that we were doing at the time. Then I said, like, no, no more, you know, I have to be where I can be more efficient. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in, in 2003 or around that time that, that one of your friends or one of your coworkers was arrested. Can you explain exactly what happened? So just that Putin was uh, thinking he was uh, pretty much like common, very uh, uh, much mediocrity uh, uh, former uh, KGB colonel. Uh, who was coming to power. He was, before that, he was vice mayor of St. Petersburg mm-hmm. um, in the most difficult days uh, where you, like, you cannot make real money there. Mm-hmm. And he always dreamt of being rich uh, and wealthy and prosperous and reputable in this sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he always believed in monetocracy. Uh, uh, how much you have, that's how much you're worth uh, in, in, in the society. So... Um, that, that's, that's, uh, uh, that was the reason why he decided that he needed to grab some large pieces of property and they were all privatized among uh, Russian oligarchs, tycoons and he decided to just to go and chase the most successful one uh, because he was also the most transparent and the most Western-minded, and it was the easiest uh, target. Because, and also uh, the wealthiest, if I remember correctly. It was also the wealthiest, but uh, uh, the issue was that the, the assets were transparent because it was a publicly traded company, it was a significant push 
you know, to make it all clear, understandable, transparent for the shareholders, and that's why it was extremely easy to grab it. Right, right. And and he, and, and on a separate a separate side note, he, he went on a hunger strike, right? I mean, he went to Siberia and, and was in prison for something like 10 years and almost went through with a, a, a hunger strike while he was in prison. Yeah, he, he was in prison exactly for 10 years. He faced two trials. Both are, like, totally ridiculous. Uh, I was testifying on uh, one of those uh, trials in his favor, but, you know, no, nothing worked because it was not a real trial. It, it, you know, it just was execution, you know, of right. uh, what uh, Putin uh, has ordered, yes, and he, he went through hunger strikes when uh, he was uh, trying to make conditions for some of his partners who were also sent to prison better. Um, is a very decent person and, uh, and he said that he's as a captain of that ship uh, he was asked many times so that you know we can liberate you and if you leave the country and he said that he would be the last of his company to, to leave and as soon as a single person is still in jail mm. uh, of, his, uh, of his friends he would be staying as well mm. So you enter politics and you're aware of the dynamic of how Vladimir Putin sometimes reacts to opposition did that deter you in any way? I mean, it must have been at least somewhat intimidating to go against a force like that. What was your thinking when you, you know, or a philosophy that you had about how you wanted to try to govern as a politician? To go against, uh, uh, you know, that's what my constituency tr trusted me to do. So, you know, I, I would not run for the parliament if I would not make such promise uh, for, for people. And, you know, being in the opposition in Russia... Uh, you cannot like promise much, you know. Here in in U.S., like Democrats, Republicans, once in a while, one is in the opposition, another time, another is in the opposition. But anyway, even when you are in the opposition, you can, as a, as a congressperson, uh, help your constituency to get some appropriations, you know, to get some projects, you know, to lobby the interest of your people. In Russia, when you are in the opposition, you cannot do much. Mm. Uh, because that's like a state monopoly, you know, only United Russia, only the ruling party can deliver something good for, for people. So my promise that I made uh, uh, to people who voted for me was extremely simple. You know, if you vote for me, yeah, it will be one badass less in, in the government, uh, you know, in the parliament, and one normal guy, decent guy who do not lie to you would be one more. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the promise I, I had to carry. And as you got in, I mean, what was what was your sort of track to becoming more of a vocal leader of the of the opposition movement? Was that something that happened right away, or did you sort of grow into that role the longer you were in the Duma? I do not consider myself to be uh, any kind of leader of the opposition. I'm one of uh, like most visible people uh, because of my status and hopefully because of some ideas that uh, that that I proclaim. Um, um, I just think that my particular niche is uh, in the reforms themselves and drafting those reforms. Uh, I combine experience of uh, successful business activity, of uh, successful government activity, because I also was managing some of the uh, government projects even being inside the opposition, like uh, creation of network of high-tech parks in Russia, and I was one of founders of Skolkova Foundation, uh, which is like... Uh, Russian high-tech development vehicle. Mm. Um, uh, we created a new university jointly between Russia and MIT. You know, so we're doing things like that, and uh, that's why I think that uh, 
uh, I can be active and successful in, in drafting new legislation, mm. in drafting new, new constitution, in, in, in drafting uh, the particular set of actions that are needed uh, for my country to develop. And did you see the longer that you were in the Duma that Putin was becoming more repressive? And if so, what were the two or three or four things that he did that really sort of shocked you or you viewed as being particularly harsh? It was, uh, he never got tired in delivering something new for us. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very much visible that, that he's getting worse and worse. Um, actually, um, probably, you know, there, there were several like really tragic events uh, in, in Russia because, of course, there was this uh, 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 blowing of apartment buildings in Moscow where I think, you know, our security forces have actively participated. Talk about that a little bit, because I think from Americans' perspective, you know, learning about that is a bit like learning about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's viewed often as like the Russian 9-11. Yes. Well, what, remind the, the listeners exactly what happened when, when those apartments blew up and, and what the, where the blame was cast and what actually may have happened. Um, what brought Putin to power was the beginning of a second uh, uh, Chechen war where Russia was victorious. And the Chech in the first Chechen war, Russia actually lost, mostly because soldiers have zero uh, motivation to fight, because nobody considered that we should fight Chechnya. The society was very much against it, it was coming from the top. So uh, it was needed to make something to make them motivated to fight and to claim the victory. Mm -hmm. And then the person who would be able to do so would inevitably become extremely important and popular uh, inside the country. And uh, to achieve this uh, uh, a series of uh, terrorist attacks in Russia uh, uh, where they blowed several of residential buildings where... The government. Uh, nobody knows whom. Okay. Nobody knows whom. There, there were some scapegoats which were executed, you know, in Chechnya. Right. Uh, and nobody exactly knew, you know, whether they were the people who were responsible. And or, the scapegoats were, 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 che were the Chechnyans. Yeah, they were, they were Chechens, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it was pretty much obvious that who benefit was, was Putin and his team. Uh, they used these blowings, those, those terrorist attacks as the justification to start the war and, uh, you know, Putin mobilized a huge support behind him uh, uh, to, uh, to, to, to become the president. When and I think it's very similar to what happened just recently with the assassination of uh, one of uh, uh, very active members of the opposition. Uh, Boris Nemtsov, the, for, the, the former vice uh, prime minister in mm -hmm. Russia and Putin's competitor uh, uh, for, the, for the presidency in, in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's, it's a very similar type provocation which is targeted to unite people um, uh, uh, around Putin uh, so that he might give even more popular support. And I want to get to him in, in just a minute. But before we do, the, the, the apartment buildings that were blown up were blown up in Moscow. Is that correct? It was, in it was all across the country. Uh, there were um, three attacks in Moscow. Uh, and uh, there were also attacks in uh, Volgodonsk uh, uh, next to northern uh, Caucasus. Uh, in Rizan uh, and in some other places. And in one of the apartment complexes, there was a, a, a bomb that diffused, that did not go off. And it had, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it had material in it that could that were that was from the Russian military. Uh, absolutely, not from military, but exactly from FSB, from from the, the modern version of of KGB. And uh, then uh, those folks from FSB said, that, you know, we deliberately have done this because we wanted to test citizen readiness. You know, it was a test uh, uh, because you know the evidence was so clear that it was implanted by by FSB. So they said, no, no, it's not like other bombs. This one, it was a test. And this is a bomb that was in the basement or on the on the bottom floor of an apartment complex that was people were sleeping. I mean, there were there were yeah, it wasn't it wasn't resigned. Yes, a resident. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it is it, it is if, like you would catch someone uh, in a skyscraper uh, in in the U.S. Uh, putting um, uh, the uh, uh, radio transmitter to be able to guide the airplane. And then he would say, you know, uh, yes, I caught red-handed, but, you know, it was just a test, you know. Right. Would you believe in it? Of course not, and, you know, we don't believe in this e- either. Does the, does the Russian population believe that? Is, that? is that information well known? And if so, how does it influence their perception of Putin? Because one of the things that's so baffling, I think, to a lot of Westerners is that he seems to be so popular. You know, the, the approval ratings we hear about is something like 80 85% approval ratings by the Russian population. How do you see that? And, and do people know about what may have gone on with the terrorist attacks? Well, you see that the uh, situation uh, and these claims, they're so horrible. So uh, to accept this information is extremely hard for an average person. And especially that you need to um, decide, you know, if that's true, what would you do next? Uh, if that, because that, if that's true, you need to take a rifle and go and rebel against, uh, against this government. You know, you cannot tolerate it a single moment of your life any longer. And since people are not ready to rebel like that... Mm-hmm. In this situation, I say, okay, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Let's pretend it's not true because, you know, we are not ready. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's, it's very similar uh, to what was happening in, in Germany in, in 1933 uh, when Hitler started assassinating Jews and sending them to concentration camps. And people just didn't believe it. Uh, even, even here in the West, you know, when there was such reports... Uh, 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 for President Roosevelt or to Prime Minister Churchill, they were saying, oh, that, that cannot be true. It's, it's like it's too horrible. And it's exactly like it's going uh, with Putin. You know, Western leaders, they say, you know, it cannot be true. You know, we're like living in the 21st century. You know, it's it, it just unimaginable. Do you have any doubt that it's true? Of course I have doubts because, you know, I haven't seen it like in in person, but uh, the more time passes, the more I'm convinced that uh, uh, I'm not sure whether like Putin was personally giving orders uh, for this, but that it was implemented uh, through Russian security forces, I have now very little doubt. I want to talk about uh, sort of your, some of your votes or some of your abstentions when you were actually in the Duma, one of which uh, got a lot of press in the U.S., which was um, the act that no longer allowed Western countries, especially the United States, to adopt children from Russia. 
Um, I, I think you abstained from that vote, and it no, was... I didn't abstain. I was at the beginning. I was the only one who voted against. Then this number grew to eight people in the in the final in the final reading. Yeah, yeah, of course, I was against, and I was one of the most vocal critic of that act. Very good. And and when you did that, was was it well known that you would most likely make that vote? And if so, did any of Putin's people come to you and say? It's important that you vote with the majority, and if you don't, there might be consequences. You know, for that particular law, um, it was not yet the case. It was the first law when uh, the presidential staff actually tried to consolidate all the political parties within State Duma so that it would be like unanimous support from all political parties. But at that time, they didn't try to work with individual deputies like to make everyone mm -hmm. every single person vote for mm -hmm. um, uh, later they corrected that mistake and for many laws after that uh, you know they have started working with everyone mm -hmm. and one of one of if not the most famous vote that you probably have ever cast was regarding the annexation of Crimea yes what went through your reasoning as to why that was a bad idea and Talk about if there was any peer pressure from the rest of the country to vote in favor of it. Did, did that exist? Uh, of course, the majority of Russians uh, think that it's fair that Crimea is Russian. And I, I want to confess, I also think that it is fair. Because uh, of the history and uh, the way it was turned to, to Ukraine also... Uh, uh, was not likely to be a constitu constitutional at that time um, uh, during the Soviet Union times. And, of course, it was totally irrelevant uh, uh, when Soviet Union exists, whether it's formerly Ukraine or Russia, you right. know, it really doesn't matter. Right. Um, so uh, it, it would be right if people, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, would have been asked where where do they want to go? Whether they want to go to Ukraine or whether they want to go to Russia or to, whether they want to become independent, you know, it would be fair. But they were not asked. And moreover, uh, uh, Russia has signed an agreement with Ukraine. And it was a very conscious agreement that Ukraine is abandoning its nuclear weapons in return for us acknowledging their territorial integrity and that the Crimea is Ukrainian. And that was a, a, an agreement, and it was ratified, you know, it was approved, you know, and, and we are to fulfill it. We are to follow it, and we are to honor it. Um, uh, additionally, the way how we have conducted this so-called referendum in Ukraine, it was obviously done under military pressure, and nobody would ever consider this to be a legitimate referendum, even if the majority of the population indeed wanted uh, uh, to go to Russia. And that's like a legal part of, of, of this thing. Uh, uh, with this nuclear thing, it's, uh, it's a very bad precedent for countries like Iran or, or North Korea, because now it's like it's a, a living proof, uh, it's an evidence that uh, they should stick to the nuclear weapons. They, they, they should never abandon them, you know, because nobody would, would honor uh, their territorial integrity otherwise. So it's dangerous for the whole, uh, for the whole of the global uh, security system. But also there is very much emotional thing. Um, uh, at that time, it was perfectly clear for me that it, it, it meant war with Ukraine. And 
Ukraine is our closest, was our closest ally. And there is not a single family in Russia who would not have any relative on the territory of Ukraine. So that means a tragedy for millions and millions of people. And uh, unfortunately, I was right. Uh, after the annexation of Crimea, this war erupted, and already there are tens of thousands of uh, uh, dead people in, in eastern Ukraine. And that's, that's horrible. Did you fear for your safety after you cast that vote? You know, uh, it was very much clear that I would be under under big pressure, and uh, being uh, in the opposition last, especially last three years after Putin is back uh, uh, as a president, uh, physical pressure was always the case. Uh, and I have several like attacks on on on, on myself. You see, my nose is broken is because of some attack on by skinheads on on, on me uh, several years ago. But, um, of course, I would never think that they would dare start shooting at people. As I understand it right now, you're, you're not welcome in Russia. You were, you were deported. You were kicked out of the country. Um, I was not deported. They just waited when I was on the business trip here, and then they closed the border for me. So what, what's the story? So you were on a business trip, and then you tried to get back into Russia, and they wouldn't let you in? Or what, how did you learn that you were no longer allowed in? That was actually published in uh, one of pro-Kremlin newspapers called Izvestia. Uh, firstly, they uh, spread some rumors that I was assassinated uh, uh, by uh, Crimeans, uh, that I was lynched uh, and sank in the uh, Crimean Strait and that uh, my car and my body was recovered in Crimean Strait, and it was reported uh, by no other person but the Prime Minister of Crimea, Mr. Aksonov, who is a famous mobster. And actually that's why I think he was uh, picked up by our uh, Kremlin administration to run the Crimea, because they, they needed somebody loyal and very decisive. Um, you know, it's like name Al Capone, the governor of, of California, just because, you know, they were afraid of California being split away from, from U.S., you know. Um, so um, uh, that was clear sign. And then Izvestia published uh, an article that uh, uh, federal bailiffs uh, um, are using the civil case that Skolkova Foundation opened against myself. Uh, as the ground to close the border for me, that there is such a preemptive measure which has uh, usually been used to not to allow a person to go outside Russia so that the debtors would not run away from right. their creditors. Right. In my case, it was used in the, in the reverse direction. So you, were you about to get on a plane to take you back to Russia and they took you off the plane? Or how did how exactly no, it was No, it was just published. It was confirmed. You know, my office in uh, Moscow contacted bailiffs and they confirmed that yes, that's, uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, at the same time, they uh, have seized all my assets there, so my credit card stopped working and uh, they reported that they are seizing like my apartment and my car and everything, so if I would go there, most likely, you know, they would not be able to prevent me from entering because I still have parliamentary immunity from the criminal uh, prosecution or detainment or, 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 or things like that. So most likely I would be able to get in. But then, you know, like where should I live, you know, and how, what, what should I eat, you know, stuff like that. Is there a, is there a, a time in the future in which you, they, they've uh, informed you that you will be able to get back in or, or not? 
that order that is used as a ground is supposed to expire uh, uh, in May. Uh, because they are taking away uh, uh, my salary plus those assets, accounts, whatsoever, you know, and that is supposed to repay all the claims that uh, Skolkovo is making against me. Mm. Uh, so, like, if they would not invent something new, uh, then I hope that in June I will be able to go back. But we'll see. You mentioned Boris and what, what just what just happened to Boris. Um, I, I couldn't possibly do an interview with you right now with, without asking about what happened. And given your desire to go back, if that has given you second thoughts. She's given me second thoughts, but, you know, my decision is the same. Uh, what happened, I think, is uh, um, a year ago when uh, the whole thing with Ukrainian has started, uh, uh, it triggered the process of a major redistribution uh, of power within the country. Uh, it firstly was focused more on economy and on business activities. And uh, in recent months, it started getting more and more about political power and the security. Mm. And I think that uh, who planned this, this, this murder uh, are those who are very close to Putin and who are fighting for the influence. Uh, there are numerous historical precedents when uh, uh, it was very much clear when you like you create a crisis and then those who, who were able to sort out this crisis would be the most influential and mm -hmm. the most uh, important. So I think that uh, what, uh, what is their plan uh, is they would blame uh, somebody like Khodorkovsky um, uh, as uh, the leader of the uh, opposition, as the most prominent figure in the opposition, that he has planned this to compromise Putin in the eyes of international community. Or it, uh, they could blame uh, Ukrainian uh, security forces, that it was them again to compromise uh, uh, Putin in the eyes of international community and uh, force uh, uh, U.S. to start delivering lethal uh, uh, weapons mm -hmm. uh, for them to protect, uh, to protect Ukraine. So I think that this is one of two uh, versions that would be uh, um, on the display uh, in, in, in the near future. And in both cases, the security guys who would like identify the scapegoats for it, you know, they would benefit. Right. Last question I want to ask you, from an international perspective, from, from the American perspective, from the international community perspective, what can we do in your judgment to try to improve the situation of what's going on in Russia and what's going on in the Ukraine? I think that there is, no, there is not much that can be done uh, directly, like inside Russia, uh, in direct cooperation with Russia, whatever, because the level of mistrust right now is so high, and actually the quality of decisions that uh, people in the U.S. are undertaking is so low on the international arena um, that I highly doubt that there will be any positive things. Uh, but uh, the Russian community here in the U.S. is growing very rapidly because of Putin's actions. And those people are really angry, and they want to do something positive about their country. And uh, if they would be supported and encouraged uh, to not maybe to go back, they are not, no revolutionaries, but uh, uh, to work closely with the opposition, to develop this vision of Russia after Putin, mm -hmm. to draft this concept of changes, uh, like Ukrainian diaspora, uh, does fundraise uh, 
for for the social and political activities which Russians have never done uh, uh, before. Then we ourselves we will do everything what 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 is needed because we understand this. Mm. Very good. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com. One additional quick note. I'd like to thank the Commonwealth Club of California for hosting this interview.